Merry Christmas, everybody. It's Christmas time. It's red sweater time. Today's message is all I want for Christmas is joy. Hey, you've heard of Bono, right? You too? Hi, uh, as I've read about Bono before, you know, I've been really impressed at the depth of knowledge he has theologically. Like he says some really deep and they're not fluff stuff that he says about the Bible or about Jesus, but he really has some good things that he says. And I, I want to read a quote to you about just how important the Bible is to him, how important Jesus is to him. And then I, I want to talk about the fact that you two played the Super Bowl halftime show following September 11th after all those tragic events. But first, I want to read this quote to you. Listen to what Bono says. Is The Bible held me wrapped. The words stepped off the page and followed me home. I found more than poetry in that gothic King James script. I'd always be first up when there was an altar call, the come to Jesus moment. I still am. If I was in a cafe right now and someone said, Stand up if you're ready to give your life to Jesus. I'd be the first to my feet. I took Jesus with me everywhere and I still do. Bono is focused on Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. We're in Christmas. So as I said a moment ago, you 2 was selected to play the very first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 2002, after the tragic events of September 11th. During that show, the names of the victims scrolled upward towards the sky and you two came out and sang it's a beautiful day the words of that song are this the heart is a bloom shoots up through the stony ground it's a beautiful day don't let it get away bono says that he prayed psalm 51 15 oh lord open my lips so my mouth shall show forth thy praise. And you know what Bono said about that night? He said it was a night of defiant joy. What is defiant joy? Well, I want to take you to another night of defiant joy. It's found in Luke chapter two. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The Christmas story is a joy story. But why? Why is it a joy story? Mary doesn't have a proper place to give birth to Jesus. There's no guest room available. She places baby Jesus in a feeding trough. And how about the shepherds? This as the angels say, is going to cause great joy for all the people. Who are the shepherds? They're the outcast of society. They're 
They're the people who have the deck stacked against them. Why should they have joy? Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about intentional joy, not irrational joy. The Bible's not interested in irrational joy. What's irrational joy? Irrational joy is standing on the Titanic as the ship is going down and saying, wow, this is really a great boat. That's irrational. Intentional joy is rooted in something that we can be grateful for. And that is what the defiant joy of Luke chapter 2 is all about. What should you be focused on? What should you be grateful for? Jesus has come into the world. God wants to be a part of our lives. He's made himself vulnerable. He's He's lowered his guard, so to speak. That's how relationships happen. It's God saying, I want to be in a deep relationship with you. God is not wagging his finger at us to condemn us. He has his finger out saying, I love you and I want to show you a better way. That's something to be, that's something to be thrilled about. We all want to experience the thrill of hope at Christmas. We want to encounter Jesus, the reason for the season. We want that joy and peace and all the things that we think about when it comes to Christmas. How are we going to experience that? Intentional joy, an attitude of gratitude, focused on the things that we should be focused on, not on the things that are going to cause us to go down, down, down. That is what the defiant joy is about. That's what Bono is speaking about. That's what Luke chapter 2 is saying to the whole world. Intentional joy. Recently, I went to Israel with a bunch of people from Grace Community Church. We had a fantastic time. On the way back, though, it was a 25-hour journey. Instead of us going from Israel straight into Washington, D.C., we took an 11-hour plane trip to Newark, New Jersey. And then when we got to Newark, New Jersey, we had a five-hour layover. Oh, my goodness, why did the travel agency do this to us? Why couldn't they just book us straight into Washington, D.C. instead of spending after all these sleepless hours to Newark, New Jersey? And then you're cramped up in the coach section, you know, where it's just so tight. There's no little room. And I love the way they parade you through first class on your way out. Like, this is where you could be if you would have worked harder. And just a few feet away from me during the flight is a lady throwing up. And I'm sitting next to Pastor Derek. And Pastor Derek loved two things that begin with the letter B. Bangles and Brits. Oh, my gosh. And he's talking to me about that. All the, I guess he loves another B, too. Becky, his wife. Now, in that moment, I could have an attitude that is not grateful at all. Or I can think, and this is what I normally do in situations like that. I wonder what this trip would be like 300 years ago. I wonder how many people would have died on a journey from Israel to the United States of America all, all those years ago. You know, the first thing I think about when I think about living like 200 plus years ago, dentist, more specifically, Novocaine. They just kind of put something in your mouth like pliers and they just rip teeth out. Oh man, the first thing I'm thinking about when I think about living all those years ago is how grateful I am to live today with Novocaine, where somebody's not sticking pliers in your mouth and just ripping out your teeth. And when I think about that on a flight that lasts 11 hours, I think, oh God, thank you so much for this seat. Thank you so much for Pastor Derek sitting next to me. Thank you so much that the lady throwing up, that that's all she's doing. Thank you so much for the people sitting up in first class who work so hard that they could be in the lap of luxury. I'm just thankful. I am thankful. So we can choose to focus on this or we can choose to focus on that. 
We need to have attitudes of gratitude because that is what brings us joy, defiant joy. So everybody, here's what's so important. Your peak performance depends on your joy performance. The Bible says it. Matter of fact, Paul writes it from a prison cell numerous times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in Philippians chapter four, he actually says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. He really wants to make sure that we understand that our peak performance is depending on our joy performance. So the Bible says it. Science says it. It it says to us that mentally, physically, professionally, emotionally, we just do much better. We perform, we experience a far better life when we are filled with gratitude, when we are filled with joy, when our joy is intentional because we're focused on the things that we can find joy in, that we can be grateful for. There is always something in our life. If Paul could figure out something to be grateful for in prison, you and I can figure out something to be grateful for on an 11 hour flight from Tel Aviv to Newark, New Jersey, we can figure it out. And when we do, when we do, we're experiencing a peak in performance, not a leak in performance, because that is what we truly want. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 that a cheerful heart heals us. It's like medicine to our souls. It actually rewires our brain when we're grateful people. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. How do we do that? We are renewed when we focus on the good things of life, when we are grateful to God. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When we take captive those negative thoughts, where our attention is drawn towards things I can grumble and complain about, We are not achieving the life that Christ has for us because the Christmas story, remember everybody, is a joy story. It's something we're focused on what we have. What can we root our thoughts in to be grateful for? It's really important. Hebrews chapter 12 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is faith. Faith is what grabs our attention. It's like Philippians says, our thinking should be the same as Jesus Christ, who had that attitude of gratitude. Your peak performance depends on your joy performance. If you grumble, you will stumble like the Israelites in the wilderness. Don't grumble so that you'll stumble. Instead, find your joy. Root your attention, your thoughts, your faith on things that you can be thankful for, even if you're in a prison. Now, let's be realistic. This is going to be a huge challenge because bad news sells. We are drawn towards negativity. It is so easy for us to recall negative things that were said instead of positive things were said. That's just the way it is. We're going to have to swim upstream advertising, advertising basically is rooted in here's what you don't have and you are not going to be happy until you have it. So we're surrounded by this all the time. And just like salmon swim upstream, it's a huge test on their muscles to do so. But why are they swimming upstream? 
to achieve a new beginning. You want a new beginning. I want a new beginning. We're going to have to swim upstream in order to get it. We're going to have to wear our muscles out in order to get it. My mind, when it's drawn towards the negativity, I've got to stop and turn around and go the other direction so that I can experience the joy of Christmas. That's the challenge for us. The challenge this Christmas season in order to experience the Christ of Christmas is to stop that negative thought, to stop that attitude of ingratitude and instead say, what can I be grateful for? What can I say thank you for? What can I praise God for? What What is it out there? What is in your life? There is something. There's a whole list of things. There's many things that you have to be grateful for. What is it? One of the most famous verses in all the Bible about joy is found in Nehemiah. This, this is what it says. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I, let's just think about this. What is going on in the time of Nehemiah? So they've come back to the city of Jerusalem after they were carted off as slaves. The city has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Everything is in ruins. And now here, Nehemiah is back to try to rebuild the city. So it's a really depressing time. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, what exactly does that mean, you know, in this moment? Why is the, why is the joy of the Lord is strength? Why is this such an important verse? So we are told in Nehemiah chapter eight, actually twice, that they're at the water gate. They're at the water gate, not the water gate here in Washington, DC, but the water gate in the city of Jerusalem. So there's a gate and it's known for water. And so they're at this place of water. We're told that twice. So that's interesting. Why are we, why are we told that? And then they break out the Bible and they start reading it. And people are mourning. They're crying. They're thinking about all kinds of things and the stuff that happened in the city. So there's water and there's the word and people are despondent. And then Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I, I have a few questions for you. Think about the famous chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, the very first chapter in all the Bible, which sometimes causes a lot of controversy and people are like, what's going on with this? But there's something in Genesis. Think with me, if you've read this chapter before, what is it in Genesis chapter one that is in abundance, but was never created? Do you know? Chat it up. What is in abundance in Genesis chapter one, but was never created? It's water. There's water everywhere, but the water was never created. What is this water? Wait, what's, what's going on with all this water? There's some really interesting verses in the Bible about this water. Second Peter 3, 5, it says, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. What is this water? The earth was formed out of water and through water. What's going on with this water situation? Ephesians chapter five, Paul writes, by the washing with water through the word. So the Bible is connecting water and God's word. The water is word. So in Genesis chapter one, all this water everywhere, is that really God's word? God's word is eternal, never returns void. Like everything can pass away, but God's word stands forever. You know, the Bible talks about that. So the water is the word. So right at the beginning, there is the water. The water is in existence for all of time. Here's another one, first Peter. Chapter three, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved. How? 
through water. Then this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience. The word of God is the water of God. And maybe, maybe everybody, and I'll just, just, just as a thought, maybe God didn't destroy or kill people with water through a flood in the days of Noah. Maybe what God did through a flood of his word, through a flood of water, which is his word, destroy all the things that are destroying our lives. Maybe that's it. Maybe God's word destroys the very things that are destroying our lives. That's an interesting thought. You know, when when they built a town in Israel, the very first thing they would build was a mikvah. What's a mikvah? It's where you would immerse yourself in water. Where you would immerse yourself symbolically in the word of God that gives you a grateful heart. As Paul says, everything written in God's word is to give us hope. It's to fill our hearts with joy. And now, in Christmas, the Christ of Christmas takes on flesh, a baby in the manger to bring us hope, to give us intentional joy, to be grateful for something. And now we immerse ourselves in the water of the word over and over again. The mikvah was something that you would immerse yourself in over and over and over again. It would back you up from your ungrateful thoughts. Things that turn towards negativity. And then once again, I would immerse myself in the water of God's word that my mind would be the same as Christ Jesus. And now I think on those things that are positive. I fill my life with an attitude of gratitude because if I grumble, I will stumble like the Israelites in the desert. And I don't want to stumble. I want to achieve peak performance. And so we see they're at the water gate. In Nehemiah, and they're reading the word. And as they do, Nehemiah says, hey, remember this, everybody. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you want to achieve peak performance, it depends on your joy performance. And that will be something really difficult to do. It puts you to the test. We put our muscles under a test so they'll achieve peak performance. If you don't put them under a test on a regular basis, they will leak performance and you won't look as awesome as you do, right? Tests are great. Thank goodness the pilot flying the airplane that you're sitting on had a bunch of tests and has continued to be tested. Thank goodness the surgeon doing an operation on you had a bunch of tests in life. See, tests are a good thing. You put yourself under a test and it is going to be a big test for you to turn your mind around to, to turn your head away from those things that you have in your life that like, I, I, I'm just so despondent. Like there's so many things wrong with life. Nope. Defiant joy. There's a tragedy. But we're going to find in the midst of this prison something to be grateful about. And when we do, we achieve peak performance. This is what the Bible is calling us to, to be joyful always. Again, Paul says it, I will rejoice. Well, what does the word strength mean in Nehemiah 8.10? The joy of the Lord is your strength. That word means a stronghold. It means a fortress. It means a place where you are safe. Kind of like a bodyguard. You ever had a bodyguard? I had a bodyguard. 
It happened to me a number of years ago. My son, who is really into music, all kinds of music, when he was in high school, began to promote musical events. And he threw a hard rock festival many years ago, and it sold out. Thousands and thousands of people were coming, and he needed he needed help. And because I'm his dad, I jumped in and helped him. Now, I know nothing about music. I really don't. I don't know anything about running a festival. And now you got all these hard rock bands, pretty tough crowd. And you got the managers of these bands. And I was interfacing with the managers. Matter of fact, his headliner, I had to interface on a constant basis with the manager of the headline act. And boy, was he tough to deal with. I remember when he didn't get all the things, and they have these things called riders with all these special things they get. When he didn't have it at the first thing in the morning, he got right up in my face and at the top of his lungs started screaming some pretty strong expletives at me and telling me I better get him that stuff right now. Well, I don't, I don't, uh, find myself that I respond well to that type of, uh, attitude. It was hard for me to be grateful in that moment. Matter of fact, my first thought was, is to show him uh, the love of Jesus Christ by smacking him right in the mouth. But I didn't. I held myself back and he just hounded me all day long. And man, it was wearing on me so bad. I wanted to let him have it, but I thought this might destroy my son's event. And oh man, halfway through the day, I picked up a bodyguard. Now this guy knew what he was doing. He, he, he'd been in his profession for a long time. And so one of the times that I had to interface with this manager, this manager started ramping up, you know, getting in my face, yelling and screaming, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, the bodyguard just steps in between us and says, hey, that's all it took. The manager backed out. He wilted like a flower. He said, oh, I'm sorry. And the bodyguard said, hey, buddy, from now on, you don't talk to him, meaning me. You only talk to me, meaning the bodyguard. And the manager says, okay. And then the bodyguard took the radio that I had on me all day that was a special radio for that manager to communicate to me. He says, you'll be talking to me. Don't you ever ask for John again. You only ask for me. Later on in the day, that manager made a mistake and he called for me on the radio. John, and the bodyguard picks up the radio and says, hey, what did I tell you? And the manager's, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Listen, everybody, when you're, you have that attitude of gratitude, when the joy of the Lord is your strength, joy operates like a bodyguard and it backs down all those things that are robbing you of the life that God wants for you, robbing you of the joy of Christmas, the reason for the season, Jesus Christ, the thrill of hope, the wonder, the peace, the awe. It robs you to experience the Christ of Christmas. Listen, don't, don't, don't rob yourself of the Christ of Christmas. Experience the joy of Christmas. The Christmas story is a joy story. Have joy and operate like a bodyguard and it'll just smack in the mouth all of those things that are robbing you of that peak performance that you long for. When you grumble, you're stumble. So here's my challenge for you this week. Okay. No negativity. I'm serious. No negativity. Like all week long. Well, look. Let's do something more realistic. How about just for the rest of the day? 
No negativity, no sarcasm, none of that stuff. Now, I'm talking about irrational joy. We've already covered that. I'm talking about intentional joy. What can you be grateful for? How can you speak gratitude? How can you give thanks? Can you do it all day long? And matter of fact, if you're sitting watching this with somebody else, like in your family or whatever, and you find them being negative, just remind them, peak performance, peak performance, peak performance. Your peak performance depends on your joy performance and let's experience Christmas for all that it's worth. Through a time, a night, Luke chapter 2 of defiant joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you God for your goodness. I thank you God that you have something so much better for us. But can we focus our faith, our minds, our intention on the things that we have, the many things that we have to be grateful for. In Christ's name. Amen.